Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communications Committee Chair for WEDI. That's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And we're very excited today to have on our show Kyle Kaiser, CEO of RX Review. RX Review is an industry leader in real-time prescription benefit services. Throughout his career, Kyle has focused on projects that lower the cost of care, improve health outcomes, and enable informed decision-making at the point of care. And he has a special focus on interoperability in the prescription drug space. Kyle, welcome and very glad to have you on our show, The Collective Voice. Glad to be here. Very good. So let's start. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got into the prescription drug space. It looks like, you know, right out of college, you very quickly were moved into healthcare, care uh, uh, and then um, and then very quickly moved into the prescription drug space. So tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I I, uh, I feel like I didn't have a chance but to do anything but go into healthcare. care. I, I grew up in the employee benefits business. So my my family's business was uh, were employee benefits consulting and brokers. So when I when I say I grew up in healthcare, when I got in trouble and got sent home from school, I, I stuffed enrollment packets for punishment. So that you know, I literally grew up in the benefits world. And um, you know, as I looked at career, I, I really didn't think I'd do anything but that. I, I just saw my path headed in that direction. And and as I got into that side of the world, you know, you saw two things, right? It was cost going up and then those renewal increases being passed on to employers. And then as a result of that, the other is that that cost share was being shifted on to members. And, uh, you know, doing that for a career and not having any other options to really manage cost didn't feel like that's where I wanted to spend my time. And I got really curious just about why is it this way? And, you know, what what's contributing to this and how do you be a part of the solution? And that that led me down a, initially a corporate wellness path and, um, and, and now, ultimately, through price transparency and specifically price transparency for drugs. But, it, you know, it all comes from sort of that payer-viewed background of, you know, how do we better manage risk and how do we do something besides, you know, move dollars from one side of the ledger to the other, but actually impact the cost of care overall. Great. Uh, I, I, lo- I love that story. I, I, I love the idea of you stuffing envelopes as a punishment. Most kids, you know, they have to move the wood pile, you know, five feet to the left and five foot to the right. You were actually uh, doing something productive. I think that's great. Uh, you also um, played football in college. And then you I see that your, your career really started in the trenches with sales uh, in different companies and healthcare companies and moved up. Um, you know, we've had CEOs here who have come from academia, from the business sector, uh, concentrate on process, from the clinical side. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think in terms of a, a CEO or a healthcare leader? What do they learn from the, the from being in the sales uh, trenches? I, I, my hope is that you you learn to really identify the need. Um, you know, if you're if you're selling well, you're listening really closely to a prospect's needs. You're really trying to understand the problems they're trying to solve, and you know, making sure that you can apply your solution to those problems. 
And, you know, that's, that's not a whole lot different than what you're trying to do in sort of an entrepreneurial environment, right? Finding product market fit is really listening closely to the needs in a given market and trying to solve them. Uh, so that was, you know, that's the way I've tried to approach sales and it's still try to approach you know, growing this company is we want to make sure we understand our customers really well, the problems they're facing and understand how we can be a part of that solution. Very good. Um, and before we get to your company, tell us a little bit about this space uh, that you work in, uh, prescription drug. I mean, I think from a layman's point of view, uh, prescription drug, dealing with that as a, as a, you know, as a healthcare business is very easy for patients, right? Things happen very automatically. Uh, you go to your doctor very quickly. They, they send uh, what you need to your pharmacy. Five minutes later, you pick it up. You know exactly what you're going to pay. Um, but what's, what's going on behind the scenes there that makes that so easy? And, and where's your company in that space? Well, it, you know, it, it can often feel easy, but it it just as often feels really complicated, even in prescriptions. Uh, you know, prescriptions have the benefit of, you know, early 2000s having gone through kind of the e-prescribing 1.0 evolution. And um, some good that that did is it created a really well-defined uh, data structure for drugs, right? So it's, it's easy for each end of a network to understand what they're talking about. That, that's where the, I think they have an advantage over medical benefits in a lot of ways. Uh, but that, that evolution of e-prescribing 1.0 was still entirely built on the exchange of flat files and EDI transactions, right? So it's, it's still not uh, as patient-specific as it could have been in its first iteration. So to, to understand as a prescriber um, the cost implications of a prescribing decision in workflow, uh, you know, until very recently was, was still a complete impossibility in a lot of cases there there was indication of formulary data in workflow but it was a flat file that moved from the plan sponsor to a tpa to a pbm to an intermediary then to the emr system and then we you know hope and pray that the provider systems are able to download that on some regular basis and even when that happens perfectly there's a data lag and the information that was available in workflow was out of date uh or inconsistent enough that providers really started to ignore it. So that sort of e-prescribing 1.0, I think, created a, a good foundation for prescription drugs that do make things work a lot better than medical benefits in, in several ways. Uh, but, but the opportunity has been, how do you take that process that's group and plan level data right now and make it real-time, patient-specific, cytokare-specific, moment-in-time specific, because all of those things really matter as it relates to pricing, care of any kind, but, it's, but it's especially prescription drugs. Um, and, and that's the, the transition that we've been a part of, is taking things from uh, a more generic insight to a patient-specific insight and sort of a personalized insight based on what we know about that patient's insurance and benefits and where they are in their, uh, in their plan design. Good. So, so now talk to me a little bit about that patient-specific shift. Uh, I think I'm understanding your, your description as, you know, e-prescribing uh, 1.0, early 2000s, when things became very automated. But those things were only automated between uh, the employer, uh, the employer, uh, you know, the, the insurance company or the TPA that was employed by the employer and the, the, the doctor and the pharmacy. And I think what you're saying is that's all great uh, but we want to turn it more to 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 bring the the patient in there. So me as a patient, what is the what is that point of care that you're talking about that that you want to see communicated? Like what 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 are we missing in that? 
Sure. Yes. Well, if you think about what was happening, think about the plan designs of the early 2000s, right? The copays were still relatively simple. They might have had a two or three tier plan. They would have been pretty well defined. So the, really that, that system was just designed to communicate uh, formulary status because formulary status translated in a relatively simple way to general out-of-pocket costs. And that's not, you didn't need to be more specific than that. Uh, what's happened since then is, you know, the overwhelming adoption of consumer-driven healthcare. So the patients are on the hook for first dollar spend in a way that they weren't before, and a lot more complex for formularies. So, you know, coinsurance tiers and things where there are some pretty significant, uh, there's some pretty significant variability in the out-of-pocket cost uh, for those meds. And, and now an insight into what tier a drug is on isn't specific enough. Now you've got to be able to say, based on Kyle Kaiser's formulary at this specific pharmacy, uh, you know, at my Costco on the North end of Seattle, then that that's the price I need now to make a good decision. Uh, so what real time benefit does is instead of it being that group and plan level insight, it is a mock adjudication basically that's saying at your preferred pharmacy based on what we know about where you are and your benefits, the price today at that pharmacy, here's what you'll pay. What also comes in that insight for through real-time benefit with our uh, SwiftRx Direct product is um, is a, a an alternative list, and those come in two forms. It's either a different drug that's a recommendation from their payer PBM or a lower-cost pharmacy option that that's also a recommendation from the payer PBM. So, you know, understanding how to compare price uh, both in drug alternatives and pharmacy alternatives is is a net new contributor. And the point of care we're talking about is actually the moment of prescribing. So this is now something that a prescriber can see uh, right before they sign that order. And, and the, the downstream cost associated with reworking prescriptions once they've arrived at the pharmacy uh, and, and there's something that needs to be fixed uh, is, is not to be underestimated, right? There's you know, 65 million callbacks a year because of something very similar to that, right? Just not knowing the right formulary status or having a formulary exception or maybe sending it to a out-of-network pharmacy, those are all things that then have to be touched again by the system, by the pharmacy, by the patient, by the provider, by the care team. Uh, those are things we can now solve uh, before the prescription decision is made. Good. Excellent. So prescription prescription decision, right? We're, I'm in my doctor's office and my doctor will actually see much more information in terms of me, uh, uh, what my plan was, what my deductible is. And also, as I, I hear, heard you say, right, that also choices for a generic drug or choice for a different um, pharmacy uh, based on cost. Is that is that right? So I'm, I'm making decisions with my doctor as to which, which pharmacy I might go to and whether I'm going to choose a generic drug that does the same thing. Is that what I'm hearing? That's right. And it may be more than generics, right? There might be a therapeutically equivalent drug that's that's uh, within the same class. There's there's sort of several iterations of what a drug alternative could look like. Um, but yeah, and, and I think the the power of that, right, is that the most trusted relationship that that an individual has is the provider, right? You if you've got something wrong with you, you seek out a conversation with your provider. You tolerate a conversation with your health plan, and then you know I have great love and affinity for the entire health plan supply chain and I'm a product of it, came out of it. But, you know, you, you, you crave that interaction with your provider. There's a, there's some trust there that is way more meaningful and can have much bigger impact than us even sort of directly trying to influence the member because, because the provider is ultimately the right steward for that information and can help make the right decision the first time. 
Absolutely. What you're doing is you're putting more information in the provider's hands at the point where they're talking to me, the patient. Um, so then tell me more about uh, RX Review, uh, maybe the history of the company, and then and then what you all do in that space. Sure. Yeah. So um, origin of the company is that there's a doctor in Denver whose name's Kevin O'Brien. He's still practicing there, uh, who is our uh, one of our co-founders, the founding physician. And, uh, and Kevin was doing a lot of this stuff manually for his patients. So he was, he created this unwieldy spreadsheet of ways to save on your medications. And, uh, and I was initially inspired because his mom approached him and, and had a pretty significant out-of-pocket monthly spend. Uh, and, and he was able to sort of look at her meds and say, well, you can tweak a couple of these things. You can change this and that and ended up cutting the monthly spend for her in half. Uh, that that sort of inspired this effort for him to then collect things for his patients over time, and uh, that's really the, the the origin of the company is that that was uh, that's what inspired you know he and Carm to get together found the company, and uh, that set us off on this path. And uh, we, we even still it, Kevin's mom's name is Lucy, and there's still a mantra around the company called Lucy Up, and it's what we still use today. That if we're you know too focused on the next deal, too focused on the next tactical step we can sort of remind one another of why we're really here and the, the sort of purpose behind our work by telling each other to Lucy up. Uh, that, that's a great, I, I love that story. Um, and, and it's a great story about uh, uh, starting a business entrepreneurship, which is, you know, um, here's a problem. And many of us see problems in the healthcare system all day. Well, you know, we see problems all over the place every day, but here's somebody who turned around and made it a business. I mean, not only did they fix a problem on a, on an individual lesson, but they said, Oh, well, there's other people that are going to need this as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, and we really initially thought this was going to be a, a more consumer patient oriented tool. Um, but uh, you know, that initial inspiration of the, the, provider searching for the answer for their patients is something that just sort of stuck with us. And uh, we, we ended up uh, entering a really close collaborative relationship with UC Health in Denver, started working on decision support applications with them. And, and that was kind of the, the right mix of things that created the platform that it, as it exists today, which is how do, we, how do we help empower providers to solve those problems, to really be a solution to patient access in a way that they haven't been before, to understand affordability to understand the barriers that are going to exist for those decisions before they make them. And uh, that's, that's all been inspired by sort of Kevin trying to help his mom. That's, that's great. So when you say prescription decision to support, that's what you're talking about. The tools, getting the data in the hands of the provider at the point of uh, making the prescription. Is that right? That's right. And, and increasingly care teams. I think there is um, not, that's not to be underestimated, right? If you, if you go shadow some of these, providers uh, like we have, you see that that patient and provider interaction is incredibly important and uh, not to be underestimated how important the care team is that, that surrounds them. With the planning before a patient walks in the door, the solutions that are applied after the patient walks out the door, those are you know just as important for us to inform with real-time patient-specific data as the moment of prescribing. Very good. So tell us a little bit about uh, maybe the obstacles to, to, to getting to, to making that work, I think, uh, maybe is the question. And, and how does your company uh, tackle those obstacles? Yeah, the the, um, the obstacles today, I think, you know, one is provider trust is that I think that the, the consequences, of that, uh, consequences of that e-prescribing 1.0 world were that um, providers just sort of stopped seeing some of that formulary data. Once you've seen something that's unreliable 
often enough, it just starts getting ignored. So as, as we were arriving with a net new improvement on that process, as we were you know, wanting to engage providers with this information uh, that's, that's new to their workflow, it was overcoming some of the trust issues with, well, I've seen tools like this before, and they just don't work very often, or they don't work at all, or they're inaccurate. And so um, our, our uh, collaborations with providers, we, we've got several strategic partners, uh, UC Health among them. Uh, we've worked really closely with those organizations to make sure that we're building tools that are reliable. When you're building things for providers, it needs to work nearly every time, or you're just not going to get adoption. And um, so overcoming that issue was, you know, a pretty meaningful obstacle for us that we are pretty proud of how well we've overcome. We've, we've got one of the most reliable systems in the industry now. And, and ultimately, if you can't get a transaction successfully priced, the, you miss the opportunity to inform it with a lower cost alternative, right? So step one is get the transaction right. Step two is then how, try and intervene around behavior change. Um, so that's, that's one big important one, but the other is just, you know, kind of the incumbency issue as we entered this market, there are, you know, big industry incumbents that, that already existed and we had to differentiate ourselves and we had to articulate why our tool was more valuable, why it worked more often, why we were provider centric, user centric in a way that, that others weren't, um, and then, then it had to work, you know, we had to prove it, right? That we had to plug this thing in and it actually had to work better. Um, and luckily that was the case. Um, so those were, you know, two big ones for us. It, the, the key to that second problem was also sort of who we were solving problems on behalf of. Uh, we, we sort of saw incumbents who were representing the interest of, you know, pharmacies or PBMs. We saw some that were sort of representing manufacturer interest. And, and really, our focus on that provider relationship, the trust that is inherent in a provider relationship and trying to leverage this opportunity to solve problems that are meaningful to provider organizations uh, was a key strategic decision for us and, and it's paid off quite a bit. Uh, it's interesting because the first obstacle you mentioned, the fact that, you know, if it's not real time and if it's not uh, accurate data, then it's useless and then you actually lose trust in the um, the data. That seems to, you know, uh, have have lessons for the greater kind of interoperability policy push. Um, certainly, right, the, the right data at the right time to the right patient, right? And the right data includes accurate data, because if you don't have the accurate data, then nobody's going to trust any part of the system whatsoever. Uh, are there other lessons like that that can be learned? Um, I do see that e-prescribing is kind of the forefront of interoperability. Do you, other lessons that we can take from uh, what you're tackling on a day-to-day -day basis that, that the medical side can think about? Yeah, and we, we are actually already doing some work on the medical benefits side, too. I think that the, the medical benefits side, for, from a point-of-care price transparency or point of care cost and coverage data and, and even prior off perspective looks a whole lot like the prescription drug world five or six years ago. Um, you know, there are these sort of focused custom efforts that are standing up to try and solve problems that matter to payers, PBMs, and that'll ultimately over time, that'll standardize, that'll become more consistent and that'll be more digestible for a clinical user or the care team. Um, so it, you know, it seems like we're right at the beginning of of a process that looks a whole lot like the uh, real-time benefit process did several years ago. Um, so, you know, I think one is maybe offer an offer of patience, right? Like it's, 
uh, I, I hope my comments aren't interpreted as it has to be perfect immediately. It, this is certainly an iter- iterative process, and it's over time things get better, and we learn, and we improve. Uh, but just you know, making sure that the distance between a provider's expectation and reality is managed well or very narrow, right? And um, if that's true, I think the tools will, will be well-received and successful. Uh, the, the wider that gap between expectations and reality, the more likely it is that a provider's going to uh, you know, ignore it it'll lack adoption. It won't see behavior change and it won't, you know, reach the full value that's promised. Very good. So, so talk to me a little bit, you talked about, you know, uh, a little bit about where you are headed. Um, what, what do you, what do you hope for either in your space, the prescription drug fit space or in operability or healthcare in general? Uh, where do you see what you're doing um, heading towards when, when, when has, uh, your company achieved what has come to achieve? I, I think our, our future and an industry future is, uh, the provider organization more at the forefront of driving patient access. And, you know, at a high level, what I mean, patient access to is by patient access is, uh, improved affordability and improved time to care. Uh, so that, you know, the distance between when the provider makes that order and the patient receives the care or the med or the, you know, whatever it may be, um, condensing that is, is I, I think the provider organizations will lead the way in that, in our future. And, um, it's because of that trust, because ultimately that's where the patient wants to go for those answers. Uh, but it's also because then the technology, uh, is, is now sort of, uh, it's, it's come to a point where that's not burdensome to the provider organization in ways that it has been before. So we can be communicating with patients as they walk in the door about what to expect in that patient encounter and opportunities to save money, opportunities to uh, consider types of care. We can inform the point of care in a way that we couldn't before with real-time patient-specific and cytocare-specific data. We can inform the process downstream of that order with EMR data, with uh, real-time connectivity to prior authorization rules. And then we can also inform the patient on the way out the door of ways to pay for that medication or things that they may need to solve some of their problems as it relates to access. And so our future is, is that platform, that end-to-end experience inside of a provider system that allows them to solve access problems for patients. That's where we're headed. Um, and, and ultimately, I think that's where the industry has to go, is that we have to, we have to be uh, realistic about where patients want to go for those answers. We've got to empower those folks to answer those questions with real-time data in, in new ways. And I, and I think that the technology is now there to do that. It's just about organizing that into a platform that's not overly burdensome to the provider and that solves the right types of problems for all stakeholders. So just thinking about what you just said, um, what do you think the pandemic brought to that whole conversation? Uh, was that a, a place where it emphasized uh, the the greater need for the data in the right places, and 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 the, obviously the greater need for uh, better consumer decisions on access? Uh, did it set us back because now we've got other things to worry about in terms of public health that we can't you know think about how to do things quicker on the business front? No, no, I, I'm interested in your perspective on that. Yeah, there. I mean, there were certainly some setbacks in that. Um, obviously 
you know, provider organizations and EMR vendors and all of those that were affected by the adjustments that needed to be made based on the pandemic, you know, the vaccine registries and just the sheer volume of care that was having to be managed inside of a health system, right? Those are all really important issues that, that couldn't be ignored. And, and as a result of that, there was other work that couldn't get done. That was absolutely true. Uh, but a brighter side of that perspective is there are also some things that we've, we've developed in our products that we wouldn't have otherwise. So, for example, uh, one, of the, one of the ways we uh, adjusted during the pandemic is uh, we've had provider systems say we really want to understand more about the, the care options on site. So patient was showing up at a clinic for a visit. We want to make sure we can send them to the right pharmacies that are here on campus because we don't. We don't want to drive it all over town to figure out where the pharmacy is in the middle of a pandemic if it's a vulnerable patient. So we built some intelligence into the tool that supports some of those things that, that make sure that where we can create a more or a sort of inter- integrated care path uh, from a geography perspective for the patient. We can say, you're receiving care here, and as a result of that, consider these pharmacy options because they're just as cost competitive and they're right downstairs. Uh, those are things that we, we likely wouldn't have pursued as quickly or at all without the pressure of the pandemic. So I, I do think there's some things, there's there's fruit in this. We're to, I don't think we saw as much of the uh, sort of groundswell as a virtual care company may have, but, but I think what's, you know, what I always find inspiring about healthcare and especially about provider organizations is that you, you know, they're in this to solve problems for patients and they encouraged us to do that in, in the midst of some high pressure situations. Right. Terrific. And that's great to hear, too, that they're patient-centric, uh, even while they're stopping the bleeding in other areas. So uh, that's really something. So uh, before we leave, any um, resources you'd like to point uh, the listeners to um, that, that more about what you talked about today? Well, you know, rxreview.com is certainly a good place to start. Uh, you know, our social media team is also fairly active. So LinkedIn and other places that you, where you find your social media feeds. Um, are, are good places for us. We're also, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be at conferences as those start to ramp back up and we'll look forward to seeing folks there, and whatever that ends up looking like, if that's virtual or otherwise, uh, we'll be a part of those as well. Good. Very good. Any closing words? Uh, appreciate your conversation today, Kyle. Really enjoyed the discussion and appreciate the invitation and I hope to see you on the road. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope we get to have some live conferences here sometime soon. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Kyle. This has been a great discussion with Kyle Kaiser, CEO at RX Review. Happy to have him on our show. And this has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, Weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.